So to summarize, you have a minuscule revenue stream, no cash reserves, and an albatross of a contract that requires you to go through a slow approval process to enact changes if they're approved at all, which they never are. Am I missing anything? I about sums it up. Tell me about the land. The land. The land, the buildings, how that whole aspect of it works. Oh, pretty simple, really. Franchisee finds a piece of land he likes, gets a lease, usually 20 years, uh, takes our construction loan, throws up a building, and off he goes. So the operator selects the site. Yeah. He picks the property. Right. You provide the training, the system, the operational know-how, and he is responsible for the rest. Mm, is there a problem? A big one. You don't seem to realize what business you're in. You're not in the burger business. You're in the real estate business. You don't build an empire off a 1.4% cut of a 15 cent hamburger. You build it by owning the land upon which that burger is cooked. What you ought to be doing is buying up plots of land, then turning around and leasing said plots to franchisees who as a condition of their deal should be permitted to lease from you and you alone. This will provide you with two things. One, a steady upfront revenue stream. Money flows in before the first stake is in the ground. Two, greater capital for expansion, which in turn fuels further land acquisition, which in turn fuels further expansion, and so on, and so on. Land. That's where the money is. And more than that, control. Raced off a route route three Out past where the blacktop ends We'd walk to church on Sunday morning Race barefoot back to Johnson's Fence That's where I first saw Mary On that roadside picking blackberries That summer I turned a corner in my soul Down that red dirt road It's where This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from the movie The Founder. Founder, it's about the uh, the story of McDonald's and how the McDonald's brothers opened up a uh, a little burger burger store, and they mastered the 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 assembly line of burgers so you can uh, create a different fast food experience. Uh, right here in San Bernardino, and uh, and how Ray Kroc got involved and turned it into the company that we know it today. The you know the largest uh, the largest uh, uh, fast food restaurant. The serves more burgers than any other any other company, and uh, clearly owns more real estate than any other company. Um, 
and I play that part. I play that part because I think uh, we need to establish that the reason that rich people get richer and poor people get poorer, or that there's always a big gap between the the top one percent or the top five percent or the top twenty percent. And uh, and the people that don't achieve, that spend their time uh, watching watching the Dodgers and smoking weed, um, is because they think different. They think different, and this is a great great illustration of hey, this is how this is how you do business. You're not gonna you're not gonna get rich with a 1.4 percent override on a 15 cent hamburger. Of course, a 15 cent hamburger uh, became a uh, I guess a three dollar hamburger today, but the uh, but the whole idea of controlling the land and create and creating cash flow, this is how rich people think. This is how, if you want your kids to be to be successful, they need they need to learn how to think. This is one of the reasons I wrote my book, uh, "Experience Matters." Here's mine, um, is to teach people. Hey, there's lessons in life, and if you pay attention to them, you learn and you start changing the way you think. And when you and when you think different, your your outcome in life is different, and uh, it's also it's also the way uh, it's. You'll also understand when you learn how to think like that. You'll also understand the things that government do does, and the and the and the way that lobbyists uh, leverage uh, politicians, and how everything works. How everything works in in the world. And you won't be go. Oh man, how did that happen? You won't. You'll. You won't be uh, caught. Caught with your pants down when, when all of a sudden the country turns to socialism, and or or you know you your your neighborhood is no longer the neighborhood it used to be because of all the policies of this government that don't make any sense to anybody right now. Well, you know what was the idea of of stopping energy independence? You know. Uh, Biden got in there and pulled the the XL pipeline and stopped drilling in Anwar and basically stopped energy production, coal production, all that stuff. Just stopped it because he wanted to he wanted to make the the climate change people happy, and at the same time he emboldened Russia, pushed the price of gas up, pushed the demand for Russia's oil, and when Russia had and you know I was watching KT McFarland uh, talk on. Uh, on Fox uh, yesterday or the day before, and she says, "Hit, you know, it's this is all about oil. When the price of oil is at eighty dollars a barrel or higher, Russia has the money to do anything they want to do, to act, uh, to act um, the way they want to on the world stage because they have because that's really their own their only uh, uh, natural resource is oil, and." Reagan broke up the Soviet Union by driving the price of oil down. And Trump drove the price of oil down and kept everybody at bay. And Biden just wants to keep the the Green New Deal happy, not realizing that, hey, we could stop pollution in this country. But, you know, our country is only like a, a very small percentage of the globe. And all the pollution that goes into the air, the earth turns and it just mixes with every other everybody else's air that keeps polluting. We can't do it. We can't do it by ourselves, and I don't believe that we have anything to, that we really have anything to do with the climate. I think the Earth Earth renews itself. I think God created an Earth that that renews itself, and we saw that in the uh, in the eighties when the when we were turning from uh, 
from aerosol cans to puff sprayers because the ozone layer was going away. Then all of a sudden, a, a uh, Antarctic an Antar- Ant- Antarctic volcano uh, erupts and volcanic ash goes into the air and all of a sudden the ozone layer is fixed. I don't know. I see things and I just go, hey, my logically thinking brain says, you know, God made this uh, made this world to uh, for people. He didn't make people to 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 uh, he didn't put people on this earth to take care of the world. He put the he created a world that takes care of people. Anyway, that's my thinking. Uh, that song was "Red Dirt Road" by uh, Brooks and Dunn. I love that. Uh, you know, I I I learned that happiness on earth ain't just for high achievers, and uh, the path to heaven is full of uh, sinners and and believers, and uh, there's life at both ends of that red dirt road. You know what? If we all think right, we all have have opportunities to do anything we want in life. Problem is that most people most people just don't see clearly. Anyway, this is my and this radio show and my book is a way that I try to help people see clearer, understand clear, understand more clearly, and uh, hopefully uh, you guys that listen pass that on to your kids and your and your neighbors and your coworkers, and uh, hopefully uh, you know this is everybody's entitled to their opinion, and I just think everybody else is entitled to mine as well. So uh, that's that's why I'm here. So anyway, before I go on to everything that's going on this week, um, let me for those of you that don't know me, let me introduce myself. My name's Ed Hoffman, branch manager, Planet Home Lending. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, toll-free, day or night, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me uh, about uh, finances and you don't, but you don't want to talk on the phone because it's just so personal, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the Planet Home Lending logo. That'll take you to my lending page. You can put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back, and you'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates, and we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle, or I should say your, uh, your financing puzzle in general. Whether that's uh, purchasing a property you'd like to own or refinancing a piece of property you do own or finding out more about that reverse mortgage thing everybody's talking about that helps you give uh, put more money in your retirement years, um, 855-640-2020 or edhoffman.net. Click on the Planet Home Lending logo. If there's any part of the show you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear, hear this show as well as several past shows. And listen to them on demand. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can actually uh, uh, subscribe, have it download for free once a week. I record on Friday mornings. It goes up on Friday afternoons and some uh, sometime shortly thereafter it'll download to your phone or your computer, whatever you listen to podcasts on. If you have comments on the show, email me at ed, to ed at edhoffman.net. And uh, I, see all, I see all the emails and I comment or respond to them. Uh, as needed. All right, so let's get on with uh, what's going on. Here's some here's some uh, news that that uh, finally came to light. Actual investigation um, of election fraud in Wisconsin. We all knew there was election fraud in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Georgia, all the states that 
had uh, big turnarounds after about two o'clock in the morning uh, on the night of uh, of the election of the presidential election, where we saw Trump was stomping Biden, and then all of a sudden, unlike any other year, they just stopped counting in the middle of the night, and then we woke up. So apparently, there was there were new numbers, and it all changed. Um, we all knew what went on, but no one could actually prove it. And of course, even even the Republicans, it got got to be, uh, you know, January 6th came, you had all these protesters that, that weren't accepting it. And of course they, the Democrats throw in a 50 or a hundred thugs wearing MAGA hats to go and uh, cause, cause chaos so they can call it insurrection and throw people in jail for, for, uh, unlimited amounts of time and charge them with, uh, with charges that things they didn't do except for, uh, exercise their, their constitutional rights to uh, protest and and um, use their voice, but now because uh, Wisconsin's doing an investigation, we now understand just how deep the private influence and corruption went. On Tuesday, Wisconsin Special Counsel Michael Gableman sat down with Tucker Carlson to explain his investigation. There's a lot to unpack here, but the he- but the headline is that Wisconsin, because of its history as a union state, its strong ties to powerful Democrats and the overall gullibility of its working-class residents became an easy target for private money and Democrat corruption to influence the 2020 election there. And it made a bigger impact on the outcome than Democrats will ever admit. Gableman starts by explaining the Democrat operatives like Obama advisor David Pluff conceived of the idea to infiltrate Wisconsin after Hillary's loss in 2016, and how a certain CEO, one we all know the name of, spent hundreds of millions of dollars to fund the effort. I expected to find a heavy influence of Zuckerberg money that came into Wisconsin and affected our elections, especially in our five biggest cities uh, in the state, Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, uh, Kenosha, and Racine. I expected that there would be influence, but I've been shocked at how deeply, and this is their word, embedded the private Zuckerberg agents or employees came in actually administering the election and guided by the political goals of David Pluff, one of the two top political advisors to Barack Obama, who wrote the book, Citizen's Guide to Defeating Donald Trump. And David Pluff wrote the New York Times a few days after uh, Donald Trump won the presidency, November 11, 2016, David Pluff wrote a letter to the New York Times, and he said the reason that Hillary Clinton lost is because she didn't spend enough time in states like Wisconsin. Now, David Pluff was a man on a mission, and he wasn't about to let that mistake happen when it came to fulfilling his dream of beating Donald Trump. And he then was the midwife for $330 million of Mark Zuckerberg's money, and David Pluff took that money and he delivered it to this entity called CTCL, Center for Tech and Civic Life. So here's what here's the gist of what Gableman is describing. Mark Zuckerberg issued almost $9 million in grants to the five largest cities in Wisconsin. Gableman says that amounted to bribery. Mark Zuckerberg formed a nonprofit called the Center for Tech and Civic Life, to funnel his own donation of $10 million to 200 Wisconsin cities for so-called safe elections due to COVID. But more shockingly, it funneled $330 million in grants to 2,500 other cities nationwide. So understand, hey, 
I want to give some money to politics. Political donations are not ta- are not tax uh, not uh, tax deductible. So he creates a nonprofit that's going to do it. So he so he can make three hundred thirty million dollars in donations to this nonprofit, get a tax deduction for it, and so it's not like spending three hundred thirty million. It's like spending half that, and uh, to go out there and infiltrate the the. Uh, infiltrate the the election and and in other words this corruption is not just limited to wisconsin wisconsin just happens to be the only state where it's being investigated here's more from gableman on how the idea of using this money to protect voters from covid was a bait and switch and the bait was we want to protect those good wisconsin citizens from covid well they wound up spending less than one percent on covid preventive materials number one our state had provided plenty of money, but as evidenced by the fact that no city official in any of these five cities had requested additional money. And if they had requested additional money, the Federal CARES Act, the federal government was handing out all sorts of money. It became a partisan get out the vote campaign paid for by Mark Zuckerberg, a private entity answerable to no one, and, and having all sorts of contractual terms. So remember, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, and I always say that rich people think uh, think different because they build their they do things that build their wealth. If you've seen the movie The Social Network, you know that Zuckerberg didn't build his wealth that way. Somebody came up with an idea. He he uh, he he took it to the next level. Wrote this program that everybody loved, Facebook, and and it took off. And all of a sudden, he's an over, overnight billionaire. And so he didn't he didn't build it the ways that the majority of millionaires and billionaires do where you where you 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 climb the ladder, you gain some some uh, some wealth, you reinvest it, you make some mistakes along the way and you build it. And by the time that by the time you've actually become a a super rich person, um, you've learned a lot of less life lessons that you've been prepared for it. Zuckerberg is like a guy who who wins the lottery and you see the people that win the lottery they think their their life is taken care of and you find out a few years later they're broke and they're and they're and they're they just screws up their life because they weren't prepared for it. So Gableman also explained how Mark Zuckerberg deployed agents to Wisconsin's largest cities to decide how ballots would be counted. One of them was a private equity manager from New York named Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. He worked with local officials in Wisconsin to change election handbooks, supervise poll workers, and make decisions on which ballots were mistakes. You had Mark Zuckerberg's agent, a guy named Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. He was editing the election day handbooks and the handbooks for how absentee ballots were going to be processed in our state's largest city, in the city of Milwaukee. And the, and the clerk there, Claire Woodall Vogue, not only let him do it, but helped him do it. And that same guy, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, went up to the city of Green Bay and he took over. He stayed there, he lived there. And because Mayor Eric Genrich wanted, wanted to, to help defeat Donald Trump, Spitzer Rubenstein was literally given the keys to the election center. He negotiated the contract with the hotel where, where the central count and all of the election day headquarters were set in the city of Green Bay. So he's editing, he's editing all the handbooks for election workers in our state's largest city. And he's, he's literally telling all the workers in the city of Green Bay 
what they should be doing, where, th where they should be going, deciding which ballots should be cured, C-U-R-E-D, so that if there was a mistake on some of the paperwork associated with the ballots, it was up to Michael Spitzer Rubenstein to determine which votes, which ballots were going to be counted. Up so then he explains how, how this Michael Spitzer Rubenstein used his newfound power to move the Green Bay Election Center from a city hall to a specific hotel, and more importantly, why he did that. Spitzer Rubenstein winds up negotiating the contract with the Grand uh, Hyatt Hilton, and one of the things that he negotiates is a private hidden Wi-Fi connection that is known only to him, that is not visible when, when other devices, anyone else turns on their phone and tries to hook up to a Wi-Fi. It's invisible to anyone else except Spitzer Rubenstein, and it's part of the agreement, it's part of the contract that it must reach Spitzer Rubenstein's hotel suite up on the eighth floor of the Hyatt. So this is going exactly where you think it is. Remember how crazy it was to believe the Dominion voting machines were hooked up to the internet? Why else would there need to be a, an invisible Wi-Fi connection? In it? And, and I'm not sure how you make a Wi-Fi connection invisible to everybody else. Because, you know, when you try to connect to Wi-Fi and it shows you everything, even the ones you can't get into, but it shows you what your device is picking up. Uh, I didn't know you could do that. By the way, the manufacturers of these machines, who who I would argue... The voting machines. Yes, sir. And, and they have clammed up, too. They won't even talk with me about how the machines work. But when they were talking eight, nine months ago or so, they were telling the world that those voting machines were not hooked up to the internet. Well, they well, can't be hooked up to the internet. They're voting machines, so that, by definition, right? In a, in a non-crazy world, but in the world that I have had the opportunity to dig into, they were. A, a number of them were. So if they're hooked up to uh, the internet, that means someone from another from another uh, location can be manipulating the numbers. If you research this case, you'll see liberal media outlets saying this was all perfectly legal because this was grant money, except the contracts were not written like grant contracts at all. The contract stated that if you five mayors of the five biggest democratic cities in Wisconsin fail to follow our directions, fail to work with our, they called them partners, that. If you fail to follow our instructions for how you put on the public elections, we're going to take all that money back. That doesn't sound like a gift or a grant to me. That's what we call... It sounds like blackmail. Doesn't sound like blackmail. Sounds like bribery. Some of this is so mind-boggling, you might have forgotten the standard Democrat election trips we've all come to expect. You know what I'm talking about. Here's the family of a very elderly woman with dementia in Wisconsin. She is 104 years old and... A lot of people at that age aren't cognizant. It's taken a long time for us to rouse her awake to even get a word out. But she hasn't really remembered us, <clears throat> Jack and me, for years, maybe five years. So the discovery that she voted in February was very recent, within the last couple of weeks. But I was surprised to hear that she voted in the last presidential election. That kind of shocked me and, and, and uh, put me in motion to find out what is going on here. 
Yeah, Tucker's interview with Gableman ended with the findings of the nonprofits he's working with to determine whether all this corruption would have flipped Wisconsin for Trump. They really did significant research into the numbers, and, and they, like every other group that I've seen and all the other materials show, that all of these abuses, including the elder abuse, including the willful and intentional uh, ignor ignoring the law and the illegal conduct of the Wisconsin Election Commission, certainly, certainly would have impacted the outcome of the election. What was the outcome of the election? About 20,000 votes. 20, 000, Joe Biden was declared the winner with about 20,000 more votes than Donald Trump. Yeah, when you look at the when you look at the uh, the election returns for 2020, uh, it was Michi Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. They they all came with it. They all the states all hinged on just a few thousand few thousand votes. But Trump was hundreds of thousands ahead before we went to bed that night. Anyway, I am all out of time for this half of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes of weather, traffic, sports, and commercials, and we'll be right back with lots more. It's where I drank my first beer. It's where I found Jesus. Where I wrecked my first car. I tore it all to pieces. I learned the path to heaven. It's full of sinners and believers. Learned the happiness on to the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, branch manager, Planet Home Lending. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance on the radio, but I do talk about the fact that I don't talk about it. Um, but that's what I do all week. If you're uh, if you're thinking that uh, uh, maybe it's time to think about a house in another state besides California, uh, and you're thinking about states like Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Virginia, West Virginia, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Montana, Idaho, Oregon, or Washington, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. If you're thinking that maybe you should uh, be thinking about rearranging your finances before the uh, interest rates get any worse, call me 855-640-2020. If you're uh, thinking about uh, you're getting to that retirement age and you feel like you have more life left than you have money. Uh, you want to look into one of them reverse mortgage things. Um, 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net. Click on the Planet Home Lending logo. Hey, so uh, getting back to what's going on. So in the first half, we were talking about the Wisconsin investigation into election fraud. Um, remember remember uh, last year they, they came out with the uh, – and we did, a, we did a, a, a good portion of a show on this. Uh, about Nevada and how Nevada did their their investigation found about there's like 15,000 votes that were uh, that were people that used addresses that registered to vote using addresses that were commercial properties empty lots um, there's like 45,000 vote of 45,000 people that weren't even residents of Nevada there's about a hundred thousand people that 
uh, that voted twice by registering as, you know, Bob and Robert and Bobby and and using the same name with different variations. Like I could be I could be Ed or Edwin or Edwin B or uh, Eddie and register to vote a bunch of times. I didn't because I don't cheat. Um, but you know what? Fair game is fair game. So we talked about all that stuff. So remember that that's uh, that's uh, Nevada. That's Wisconsin. If we do the same thing on Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia, we're f- going to find out that Trump won the election. And uh, and it's frustrating to think that we have to go two and a half more years of Biden before we can get rid of him. Because we know if, if uh, after we take the House and the Senate in November which will be effective in January, even if we impeach him, uh, that's going to put a, even a, a stupider person. Uh, because, you know, Biden, Biden, we can blame Biden. Uh, he's old. He's losing it. Um, Kamala Harris is young, and she still is, she's still a moron. She still doesn't know what she's doing. She's still incompetent. And uh, you would think, you would think that Biden would have seen that since she had no support of the American people and she dropped out before the first primary, that maybe choosing her because she's a female and she's of color, um, maybe that's not a good idea. And maybe it's not a good idea with what's going on in the Supreme Court, but we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So let's talk about Biden in Europe. On Thursday, Joe Biden arrived in Europe for a high-stakes NATO summit where the priority was mitigating the war in Ukraine. His press conference started out started off with a promise to throw more money at the problem. This time for humanitarian assistance to help people we didn't send fighter jets to. The United States is committed to provide over $2 billion in military equipment to Ukraine since I became president. And I air systems and I armor systems, ammunition. And today I'm announcing the United States is prepared to commit more than $1 billion in humanitarian assistance to help get relief to millions of Ukrainians affected by the war in Ukraine. Yeah, I remember. So he's going to send humanitarian exp- uh, humanitarian relief uh, assistance to people that have that are starving. You know, uh, Russia's cut off cities from from having water and having food and kids and adults are starving to death there. And so we're going to send them food because what we didn't do is send them over, over fighter jets or assistance of any kind. We didn't step in because we're so afraid of, of Russia um, talking about nuclear. You know, they just said, well, we're going to put our nuclear, uh, our nuclear uh, program on alert. They knew that they knew that uh, when they said that that Biden had to go change his underwear because he peed in peed in his pants. Oh my God! They're putting it on alert. I can't I can't deal with that. We better be really careful and not want to escalate it. Remember a couple weeks back? Hey, the word for the word for the day is escalation. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we're not do that. And 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 remember in 2014 when Russia went in and took Crimea. Crimea, the that big uh, peninsula on the bottom of Ukraine, and and took it back. Obama did the same thing, and instead of sending assistance, they sent blankets. Well, since you're out in the cold, and it's cold out there, we're going to send you blankets so you can stay warm. Weak, weakness, peace through weakness never works. 
So next, Biden pledged that the U.S. will indeed begin accepting Ukrainian refugees. Many Ukrainian refugees will, uh, will wish to stay in Europe, closer to their homes. But we've also will welcome 100,000 Ukrainians to the United States with a focus on reuniting families. With the focus on reuniting families. Well, if your family is over there in, in Europe, why would you bring them to the United States to reunite families? Eh, I don't know. And remember, they asked uh, the same question to uh, Kamala Harris, and she goes, <laughs> a friend in need is a friend indeed. What a moron. And I'm not sure why he'd want Ukrainians Ukrainians to come into the United States because somehow he'll give them the, the, the right to vote because, you know, U.S. citizens, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to vote anymore. Uh, you just have to do whatever the Democrats want you to do. Um, but Ukrainians know that, that they lost their homes and lost their country because the United States didn't stand up. And they know that we had a strong president in, in uh, Donald Trump. And they know that the world was a more peaceful place. And uh, if you think Ukrainians are going to come in here and they're going to, uh, when you give them the right to vote, that they're going to vote Democrat, you're wrong. Of course, I guess uh, if Zuckerberg has anything to do with it, we'll never know how they voted, really. So after announcing more sanctions on Russian oligarchs, Biden was asked what he plans to do about the global food shortage that's coming since Ukraine and Russia together account for one-third of the global wheat and barley exports. It took him some time, but eventually he managed to get out his answer. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did re- re- talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. And uh, because both uh, Russia and Ukraine have been the breadbasket of Europe in terms of wheat, for example, just give one example. But we had a long discussion uh, in the G7 with uh, um, the uh, with both uh, the United States, which has a, a significant, the third largest producer of wheat in the world, as well as Canada, which is also a major, major producer. And we both talked about how we could increase and disseminate more rapidly food, food shortages. And in addition to that, we talked about uh, urging all the European countries and everyone else to end trade restrictions on on sending uh, limitations on sending food abroad. And so we are in the process of working out with our European friends what it would be, what it would take to help alleviate the concerns relative to uh, food shortages. So we asked the European countries to end food limitations, sanctions on, what did he say? Don't quite get that out. But you know we could uh we could we're gonna we're gonna produce more in the United States and we're gonna uh and we're gonna task the American farmer to to replace all that all that production which I assume means they have the land to do that because I think I think farmers use their land to the maximum capacity so they can uh, so they can make the maximum profit and you know be the do things the most efficient way they can and you know you've got the seasons and. You plant your you plant your crops at a certain time and you harvest them at a certain time, and I think farmers 
farmers uh, use the old style of thinking uh, that re- includes logic, math, and common sense. And uh, but we're gonna we're gonna get them to crank it up to replace replace Ukraine because you because Russia's destroying Ukraine. And of course, we talked about this two weeks ago about the cost of of growing of growing corn and the cost of growing which will be the same as the cost of growing wheat and barley and anything else, that the fact that the cost of oil is up and oil production is down, that the cost of fertilizer is up. And it's uh, doubled and tripled. And either way, we're going to be seeing huge increases in the grocery bills in this country and everywhere else. So uh, those of you guys that think, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, we should be able to work at minimum wage jobs and have a living wage so we can pay our, pay our bills and uh, have, a, have a nice lifestyle at $15 an hour. Sorry, that ain't happening, which was a stupid, uh, we should have, instead of saying, hey, we're going to raise the minimum wage and just force employers to do that, we should have said, hey, let's teach these people to work. Let's teach these people to be productive. Given taking all our tax and the crap out of everybody so that we can give free stuff to everybody doesn't make anybody more productive. And now it's all coming around. What goes around comes around, and this is what it's doing. The next question we've all been wanting the answer to. Were you so worried about provoking Putin that you actually ended up emboldening him? Here's Biden's answer. Sir, you've made it very clear in this conflict that you do not want to see World War III. But is it possible that in expressing that so early that you were too quick to rule out direct military intervention in this war, could Putin have been emboldened knowing that you are not going to get involved directly in this conflict? No one, no. Well, I'm satisfied. Reminds me of a scene from Back to School. Putin, I'm only going to ask you this one time. Is the work that you turned in your own? I can't lie to you, Dean Martin. Yes, it is. I'm satisfied. You know, why is it that when we watched that movie in the 80s um, that we thought that was a funny scene? But when we're hearing that same BS from, uh, from the person who inhabits the White House, that... Okay. Well, I don't think we I don't think people are saying okay. I think uh it doesn't matter what he says. We all have eyes and we all have brains. Well, except for the Democrats. They accept well, you know what? Biden said this didn't embolden Russia. BS. Common sense says otherwise. And finally we got a we got a classic gaffe, a classic Biden gaffe. Unfortunately it's one with real national security implications. But with Uncle Joe, the press just laughs it off. The United States is a leader, one of the leaders in the international community, has an obligation to be engaged, to be engaged and do all we can to ease the suffering and pain of innocent women and children and men, for that matter, throughout, the, th- throughout Ukraine and those who have made it across the border. I plan on attempting to see those folks, as well as I hope I'm going to be able to see, I guess I'm not supposed to say where I'm going, am I? But anyway, I hope I get to see a lot of people. <laughs> what a moron. You know, before he, before he told everybody that he's going to the border uh, to meet refugees uh, so everybody can be in, in the right position to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, assassinate him if, if that's what uh, 
the bad guys wanted to do. Now they know where he's going. Um, but before he said that, he says, you know, uh, we all have an obligation to be engaged in ending the suffering of people. Yeah. So why haven't we been? Why haven't we been engaged? Well, you know, we gave a billion, $2 billion of this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter how much we gave. If it wasn't enough, then give some more. You know, I have, uh, I have some friends that are saying, hey, don't buy the Ukraine stuff. And, I'm, and they posted on Facebook and I said, what, what are you wanting people not to buy? Don't, 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 uh, don't, don't believe this stuff. What is it that we're not supposed to believe? And then he, you know, he said he says that well, Putin's acting more American than than Americans are. What does that mean? And he goes, ah, oh, you may not agree with me, but just sit back and watch. Well, what does that mean? People just people just need to think, need to think and pay attention. So anyway, let's talk about uh, let's talk about what's going on in the Senate confirmation of Katanji Brown Jackson for the for the Supreme Court of the United States uh, to be the next Supreme Court justice to uh, replace Stephen Breyer. Apparently, apparently no one's too worried about this because we're replacing a, a liberal with a liberal. But as I watch, I think there's a big problem here. Joe Biden's Supreme, Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, sat for three days of Senate confirmation hearings. As we all know, Brown-Jackson would be the first African-American woman to, the, to be a Supreme Court justice. After watching her, watching her hearing, we also know she seems like a, a very nice person, and, but it just seems like she's that maybe she's playing a very nice person. She's not. She's not showing what what I call candor, which to me to me is hey, ask questions and and does she answer with candor? Like she's just answering. She seems very guarded and being very careful to to use just the right words and not say things that could be used against her. But one th- and may and maybe that makes her smart, maybe criminally smart. One thing one thing we might not have known about her long history was her giving lenient sentences to child pornographers. Thanks to Josh Hawley of Missouri, we do now. Judge, congratulations on your nomination. Here are I hope in the next couple of days some of the cases from your time on the on the court, the district court, the federal district court that I hope that we can talk about. United States versus Hawkins. This was a child pornography case where the defendant distributed multiple images of child porn, possessed dozens more, including videos. The federal sentencing guidelines recommended a sentence of 97 to 121 months in prison. Prosecutors recommended 24 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave the defendant three months in prison. United States versus Chazen. There it's the, that case, the defendant possessed 48 files of child pornography. The federal guidelines recommended 78 to 97 months in prison. Judge Jackson sentenced him to 28 months, which was the lowest sentence permitted by the law. And in every case, in each of these seven, Judge Jackson handed down a lenient sentence that was below what the federal guidelines recommended and below what prosecutors requested. Yeah, and I don't think I'm alone in... Uh in my opinion, that um, people that are involved in child pornography are the same people that are involved in pedophilia. And, and in my opinion, those people should be locked away for life. You know, it doesn't, it, you know, those people are the ones that, you know, the, when, uh, when kids are kidnapped and, and for, as, uh, for human trafficking, for, uh, for sex, for sick people that, that like to have sex with, uh, with kids, 
You know what? If it's your kid, you want them put to death. But when it's not your kid, eh, well, you know, uh, it's on the internet. He, you know, he was involved. He had this many uh, images on his computer, but it's so much easier. When they wrote the law, when they wrote the law, it was, you know, uh, that was when they had to mail them. So uh, now it's it. Now they have much more because it's so well available on the internet. These are still sick animals. Why do we want them in society? Remember, the reason for the Justice Department is to protect all the law-abiding citizens. We're entitled to live in a, in a, uh, in a lawful society. That's what they're supposed to be. This is person's going to be on the, on the Supreme Court of the United States, the highest, the highest opinion on laws, and she's going to be one of nine people in the country that get to make the final call on this. I think this lady's not a... Not, uh, She's not uh, acceptable. She's not uh, qualified. Lindsey Graham uh, used the majority of his time to make a point on the difference between how Brown Jackson is being treated by Republicans versus how the last two Supreme Court nominees, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, were treated by the Democrats. Remember, Amy Coney Coney Barrett was painted as a religious zealot because she belongs to a Catholic group, People of Praise. What faith are you, by the way? How would you feel if somebody up here on our side said, you know, you attend church too much for me or your faith is a little bit different to me, and they would suggest that it would affect your decision. Would you find that offensive? Senator, I'm... I'm... I would if I were you. I found it offensive when they said it about Judge Barrett. The reason I ask these questions is I have no doubt that your faith is important to you, and I have zero doubt that you can adjudicate people's cases fairly if they're an atheist. But the only reason I mention this, Judge, you're reluctant to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Just imagine what would happen if people on late night television called you an effing nut speaking in tongues because you've practiced the Catholic faith in a way they uh, couldn't relate to or found uncomfortable. Judge Barrett, I thought, was treated very, very poorly. It gives me a chance to remind this committee in America there are two standards going on here. If you express your faith as a conservative, all of a sudden you're an effing nut. And we're tired of it. And it's not going to happen to you. Yeah, Lindsey Graham uh, sometimes, sometimes just rubs me the wrong way. You know, why didn't, she, why didn't he let her, let her answer? This wasn't just about... Uh, grandstanding uh, on your soapbox about how uh, the Democrats uh, treat Republicans or conservatives uh, badly, and we don't, and we don't treat liberals badly. This is about this is about who's going to be on the Supreme Court. I want to hear her answers. Here's Lindsey Graham on how Brett Kavanaugh was treated. Well, let me. Did you watch the Kavanaugh hearings? No, sir. Are you familiar what happened in the Kavanaugh hearings? Sen- Generally, <clears throat> Senator, your time is well. Please, Mr. Chair. You were here for Kavanaugh. If she's confused about what happened, some people on the other side had an accusation against Judge Kavanaugh that during high school, uh, he sexually assaulted somebody. And the rest is history. That was known to the people on the other side and never revealed during the meetings they had with Judge Kavanaugh. It was literally ambushed. He was ambushed. How would you feel if we did that to you? Senator, I've appreciated the kindness that each of you has shown me to see me in your offices, to talk with me about but, my approach. But, but my question is, what if it, during our 15-minute exchange, it was very pleasant? I would never do that to you. If I had some information 
that's sketchy at best, that somehow you've done something wrong, I promise you, just from human decency, I would share it with you. I would not disclose it at the last minute of the last day of the hearing, and I've already given it to a newspaper so the whole country can read about it before you ever said a word. Senator, she's had nothing to do with the cause. No, but I'm asking her about how how she may feel about what y'all did. Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is what bothers me. The whole world saw the Kavanaugh hearing. Everybody saw how, how they mistreated him. Everybody watched it. But she's a federal judge, and she didn't watch it? I'm going to call BS on that. And let's not forget about the many stunts pulled by all the Democrat presidential hopefuls during Brett Kavanaugh's hearing, like this one by a certain senator from California. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman Brett Kavanaugh Mr. Chairman to serve as associate justice Mr. Chairman I'd like Supreme to be recognized for United a question States. before we proceed I extend a very warm welcome we have not to been Judge given Kavanaugh an opportunity to have a meaningful his wife, hearing Ashley, on the- proud Mr. Chairman if, if we cannot be recognized I move to adjourn Yeah what a crock of crap what is what is the the way that senators grandstand to make to make a uh, make make a a scene so they can get more notoriety on this stuff and just treat people the way they do. Maybe the Republicans should should start doing that. Maybe we should start fighting the way that they fight and and quite frankly, my opinion on on uh Katanji Brown Jackson is she's not honest enough to be a Supreme Court justice. She can't answer these questions and she can't ans- and she can't answer about why anything, and we can't, uh, she's not showing any candor in her answers, then how do we know who she is? I, I said this in the 2008 election, we don't know enough about Barack Obama to let him date our daughters, much less run the, run the free world. And we're in the same situation. But she is black and female, so uh, I guess that qualifies her. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. Thanks for listening. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week.